Good morning. Uh, the American Civil War was a uh, brutal and destructive event. It uh, ripped a country in half, uh, somewhere between 600,000 to a million people killed. A civil war, brother against brother. And a famous poem was written about the civil war. And then in 1956, Bing Crosby turned it into a song. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and mild and sweet their songs repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And that goes on. And in despair I bowed my head, there is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail. With peace on earth, goodwill to men. Uh, in 1998, in Northern Ireland, a car bomb uh, planted in Omar by the paramilitary group, the real IRA, they killed 29 people. Uh, that event threatened to derail the fragile peace accord established uh, by the Good Friday Agreement and reignite the death and carnage of three decades of the Troubles. And in his despair and discouragement at this tragedy, Bono, lead singer in the band U2, someone who speaks openly about his Christian faith, penned this song, Heaven on Earth, We Need It Now. I'm sick of all this hanging around, sick of sorrow, sick of pain. Sick of hearing again and again, there's going to be peace on earth. Jesus, can you take the time to throw a drowning man a line, peace on earth? Tell the ones who hear no sound, whose sons are living in the ground, peace on earth. No who's or why's, no one cries like a mother cries for peace on earth. She never got to say goodbye to the colour, to see the colour in his eyes. Now he's in the dirt, peace on earth. Jesus, in the song you wrote, the words are sticking in my throat, peace on earth, here at every Christmas time, but hope and history won't rhyme. So what's it worth, this peace on earth? Uh, we're taking four Sundays uh, of Christmas in 2022, and we're looking at what are widely celebrated as Christmas blessings, hope, peace, love, joy. Uh, you can see them there on the preaching card uh, in front of you. You're welcome to take it away. You'll see what we're looking at uh, and where we're going in the new year as well. I think if you had to pick out of all of those four virtues, I think peace is the, the blessing most closely associated in the popular mind with Christmas. At Christmas, the news media will, will bring us coverage of Kiwi soldiers that they never do during the year stationed overseas. At Christmas, politicians will be trying to negotiate uh, temporary ceasefires in conflict zones. At Christmas, the social commentary will express a longing that wars will end and peace will reign. There is something about the promise of peace on earth that resonates deeply in the human heart. It's that message that the angels gave at the birth of Christ, that he was coming to bring and deliver a blessing, glory to God in the highest 
and on earth peace to those on whom his favour rests. In the popular mind, that, that longing for peace on earth is largely a longing that wars will end. At the global level, peace is commonly understood as sort of the absence of war and conflict. At a community level, uh, it's the absence of violence. It's freedom from disturbance. At a personal level, peace is tranquility, calmness. That is, peace is the absence of things that take away serenity or stillness. In many ways, our culture understands peace as the absence of something, something troubling, something disturbing. That's a definition by by the negative. Peace is the absence of something unwanted. What's the positive definition of peace? Well, the biblical concept of peace is one in which God's authority and power over his created order dominates it in such a way that there is harmony and coherence with the material world and with the human world. Uh, Peace comes in all sorts of different ways as people put themselves under God and under his uh, lordship, they submit to him as king. So if you go back to the Garden of Eden, imagine yourself there, was there peace in the newly created world? Did Adam and Eve in the animal kingdom enjoy a peaceful world? Well, we say, yes, 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 it was a place of peace. Was that because there were no wars, no troubles, no conflicts? Is that what makes it peaceful? Well, no. There was peace in the garden because God had so ordered and structured the world He was in command and control so that there were intimate relationships, one with the other, with God. There was equity, there was harmony, there was purpose and meaning. Peace was the resulting experience of life and the the world because God was in charge, ruling and reigning over it all. When was peace lost? Oh, when humanity rebelled against their maker. So that outside the garden, outside God's order and rule, that's where there was murder and brutality and war. It seems that ever since then, humanity has wanted to understand and experience peace without any reference to the God who brings and creates the peace. We want to enjoy the state of harmony and order without coming under the authority and power of the God who brings that harmony and order into existence. Peace is the experience of a life submitted to the rule and reign of God. You see, we, we, we too quickly forget that the experience, of, we, we think about the experience of peace, but we forget how that peace comes about. Uh, some of you will know the name Marie Kondo. Who's heard of Marie Kondo? Ooh, the organisers amongst us. Uh, Marie Kondo. She is a Japanese lady on a mission to help people find joy, to be happy, to be at peace with themselves in their home through, as the title of her first book describes it, the life-changing magic of tidying up. (laughs) She will give you advice and instructions on how to fold clothes in your drawers. 
You can find my undies appropriately sorted. My T-shirts rolled away. See, everyone wants the tranquil, tranquil and peaceful home, but how does that come about? Through the hard work of organising and arranging, cleaning and maintaining, finding a place for everything, being prepared to declutter those possessions that no longer fit into your life. And you have to keep imposing your will on your home to stop it drifting back towards chaos. You keep peace in your home through a lot of hard work. Or take those architectural wonders, grand designs, those incredibly sleek and wonderful new homes. Now, if you only tuned in for the last five or ten minutes, all you would see is the peace and harmony radiating from this minimalist, eco-friendly, immaculately decorated mansion. But of course, the bulk of the program is about how the owners have had to wrestle and struggle. They have had to master and dominate these building projects in order to eventually bring about a home shaped by, let's call it, peace. You go for a walk, a peaceful forest, a tranquil beach. How did it get that way? You just turn up for the snapshot. Hundreds of years, thousands of years of forces, weather, wind, rain, disaster, growth of plants, distractions and destruction of animals have all worked to form this wonderful moment that you share. And there you are, you have your snapshot moment. And that's it. And you think, it's so peaceful here. Yeah, and then you leave. And then the park ranger comes by and picks up all the rubbish and sorts it all out. And then the people come by and they, they relay the track so that you can walk through the Milford Sound. It's all glorious and wonderful. You, you see, you have a peaceful moment, but behind the scenes, work, effort to make it that way. Peace is much more than the absence of the bad, the troubling, the, the disturbing. Peace is the result that happens when someone uses their power and authority to get rid of the bad and the troubling and the disturbing. Peace is the good and pleasurable experience of living under the protection and the provision of someone strong enough to bring and sustain order and harmony and purpose. That's what God is doing in the world. That's where peace comes from. Now, the Bible gives us uh, two, well, several key ways to think about peace. Uh, the aspiration at Christmas time in the media is that, that we'll think about peace between human beings, the ending of war. But the Bible says, no, no, let's think first about peace with God. Now, so peace with God. The Old Testament uh, talks a lot about peace with God and a central element of being at peace with God is the sacrificial system. Uh, dealt with sins, but there were even things called peace offerings. Ways of demonstrating you were at peace with God or you were living under God's peace. Now the killing of an animal as part of a religious system kind of sounds grotesque to our modern ears, but what it does communicate is how costly peace was. Peace isn't simply sort of wish an empty wish, it's the result of a process that in the sacrificial system came at a high cost, a life. 
In the Old Testament sacrificial system was also a pointer forward to a longed-for peace. Not we had to repeat animal sacrifice, animal sacrifice, but peace that was sustained and carried on. One day the prophets would talk about one who would come, a redeemer, a rescuer, who would embody peace and bring it to humanity. Isaiah calls him the prince of peace. A promised king who would bring the order and the rule to restore the world. The one who would exercise his power and authority to establish peace. And that's the one who comes in chapter 2 of Luke's gospel. Uh, In Luke chapter 2, there was already peace in the world before Jesus arrived. It's called the Roman peace, Pax Romana lasted for about 200 years and it began under the rule of Caesar Augustus, the very one at the top of the page, whose name is given to us in Luke 2 verse 1, from whom we get our month name for August, this Caesar, he imposed peace. Peace that stretched across Europe, Asia Minor, North Africa. Why was there peace? Because of Roman might and power, imperial rule imposed this peace on the willing and the unwilling. With the birth of Jesus, promised by the scriptures, announced by the angels, facilitated through Mary and Joseph, witnessed by the shepherds, a new imperial ruler has been born. And Jesus will be the means by which God will restore peace to those on whom his favour rests. Uh, If that sounds slightly elitist to you, those on whom his favour rests, you just read on in Luke's Gospel and you will discover that those are the weak and the lowly, the humble and the oppressed, the spiritually poor and the persecuted. And how will Jesus exercise his kingly rule to establish peace? What will he do in order to bring peace order, to reshape the world, to bring about a world characterised by peace. Now the Roman pattern was from the top down. The order is given, the generals, the army, the politicians, peace comes, it's imposed. But Jesus begins at the bottom. One man born in a shed. He will lay down his life, he will suffer and die. He will take our place under the judgment of God. Through Jesus' death on the cross, his ultimate sacrifice establishes peace with God for us. The Apostle Paul summarises his argument explaining the gospel, explaining who Jesus is. First four chapters of the letter of Romans and then the first verse of Romans chapter 5. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The sacrifice of Christ is the means by which our broken relationship with God, where we were enemies of God's, where we were warring against God's will, through Christ's death we are no longer enemies. We are at peace with him. And it's important to be clear that peace is more than the absence of war. See, let's say that tomorrow... Russia and Ukraine sign a peace treaty and the Russians pull out and return to their country. 
What sort of peace do you imagine will exist between those two countries? Oh, they might not be at war, but there will still be hostility and antagonism towards each other. I was reading yesterday about uh, life in the UK at the moment, the economic pressures that are on people. There's no war, no civil war, no soldiers. Is that a country at peace? No, there are people desperately struggling. Poverty, uh, financial pressure, winter with power cuts, or or no power, they can't afford to pay for it. Uh, People eating soup packets for, that's their meal, one a day. Would Would you characterize that society in that place as at peace? No, but there's no war. But you wouldn't say it was peace. There can be no real peace unless all the parties are happy. All the underlying grievances and niggles are, are sorted out past crimes or betrayals or uh, provision resolved. There's got to be a real and full reconciliation if there's going to be peace. But, but also a, a peace that lasts. Not rich versus poor. Not Russian versus Ukrainian. When God sent his son into our world, it was with the the goal of a full and complete reconciliation. All our faults and failings must be addressed. All our sins must be forgiven. We must be cleansed of all our sins. Through the cross, we are justified with God. Justification, one of those great big Bible words, it means that we've been forgiven our sins. Our negatives have been cancelled, if you like, through Christ's death on the cross. And at the same time, We are declared right with God. We are positively blessed or declared to have right standing that Jesus had. And our peace with God has a real shape and form. See, we were enemies, we were far from God, but now that we have peace with God through Jesus, we're we're brought near. Peace has a shape. New Testament uses several important images to help us grasp what it means to be at peace with God and be brought close. The apostles used the language of the slave market in their day to say that we were slaves, that we've been purchased through Christ, and we're now bought and owned by God and brought near to him, rescued from some other slave owner, brought near to God. They used the language of reconciliation to say that though we were once foreigners and aliens, cut off from God, through Christ we've become God's friend. They use the language of adoption to say that though we were once spiritual orphans, we've been adopted into God's family. In this special way, God is our father and Jesus is our brother. And we discover that God's spirit has come to take up residence in us. The Christian believer is filled with the spirit of God. God's presence is with us and for us. The Lord Jesus has come and through his death and resurrection there's now he is now in the position of supreme power and authority. He is the prince of peace and the shape of the peace that he's established and brought about is a peace with God where our sins are forgiven and we stand before God justified. It's a peace with God where we are redeemed and reconciled and adopted into God's family and given the spirit of God. These are the positive markers of what peace with God 
the one promised here that Jesus would bring. This is what peace on earth looks like and feels like. We are at peace with God through Jesus. But there is more that the Prince of Peace brings to us. Not only are we at peace with God as individuals, we also have peace between ourselves as a community, as a collective. See, one of the great themes of the New Testament is the revelation through the ministry of Jesus, how he has broken down the dividing wall that, that separates people. The big category in the Bible is Jew and non-Jew, Jew and Gentile. And Jesus has destroyed the barriers that fundamentally separate people from one another. Every Christian has exactly the same experience. Over the whole world, over all of time, every Christian has the same experience. And so, Paul can say, Galatians 3, So, in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourself with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. Worldly divisions, uh, ethnic backgrounds, cultural upbringing, economic status, biological gender, these are all real, but they're all secondary. None of them should divide or separate us in our relationship as brothers and sisters in Christ. Between Christian believers, you see, there is now this fundamental peace. In a world that often will use all those categories as a basis for antagonism or hostility or war, but not between us. We are profoundly at peace with one another. And what does that, what does that look like? It's, it's not that we're hostile. It means we are a loving family who care and share with one another. The Apostle Paul explains it to the Gentile and Jewish Christians at Ephesus this way. But now, Ephesians chapter 2, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who's been, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in the one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to you who were near. For through him we've both access to the Father by one spirit. See, peace between us, peace with all Christians all over the world, this is part of the blessing promised through the angels when they announced glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom his favour rests. In the coming of Jesus, the Prince of Peace, who we remember and celebrate at Christmas, we are rejoicing in the peace that he has established, the peace that he sustains in and amongst us as the people of a church. And Christ's peacemaking capabilities achieve even more yet. There is peace for the universe. Uh, Jesus' death on the cross served not only to restore humanity to fellowship with God, not only to restore relationship with one another, but also to renew the whole universe. Paul tells the Colossians, uh, Colossians 1, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Christ and through him to reconcile to himself all things, 
whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And how is it that Christ made peace through the cross? Colossians chapter 2, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He's taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Part of what was accomplished through the cross was the defeat and the disarming of these spiritual powers and authorities. Satan and his demonic forces are stripped of their power through the cross, their power to keep us in a state of hostility with God, their their power to keep us warring and factioning and fighting with one another. But now Jesus has the power and he brings peace to rule and reign so that there is order and harmony. One more blessing as we think about peace. Peace with God, peace between people, peace over the whole universe, but also peace within us. Psychological peace, if you like, the the feeling of peace. Again, we need to frame this idea of peace properly. See, our culture wants to think about peace in our inner space as an absence an absence of anger and hostility, an absence of pain or disappointment, an absence of grief or sadness. This is a kind of inner peace and tranquility, a calmness. How is it to be achieved? Well, just don't worry about anything. Let it all go. Empty yourself. No, inner peace, says God, comes to Christian believers who recognise that God has promised the blessing of peace. Jesus has come as the Prince of Peace. Through the cross, we have peace with God, peace with one another, peace with the universe. Those objective realities mean that I can have a subjective, internal experience of inner peace. See, what what does it mean for me to be at peace? I know that God is in control of the world and working for good powerful enough, generous enough, loving enough to send his son into the world to bring peace. That objective reality gives me an inner confidence. Everything else is just wishful thinking. Uh, We can have peace this Christmas because we know that peace has been established by someone powerful enough to defeat demonic forces and shape and conform this world to the will of the God of peace. Peace has been established by someone good enough to lay down their life for us so that we can enjoy life under Christ's peace as the forgiven, the redeemed, the reconciled, the adopted. Peace will be established for all eternity by someone through whom the world was made and through whom the universe will be remade. The Son of God, the Lord Jesus, born in Bethlehem. He is the one who brings glory to God in the highest and he is the one who delivers the true peace on earth that we all want and need. One theologian put it this way, peace means the defeat of evil. 
Peace means breaking down the barrier between humanity and God. Peace means the presence of God's rich and abundant blessing. Peace means positiveness. It's not the absence of anything, the barrier that separates us from God or anything else. Peace is presence, the presence of God. Christ is our peace this Christmas. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks and praise that you are the God who establishes peace. We pray today that we would know that peace, peace with you through the Lord Jesus, peace with one another because we are brothers and sisters in Christ, peace in your world for you are reforming and remaking it, and peace in our heart for we find in you someone we can trust and depend on for all eternity. We rejoice this Christmas that Jesus has come to bring peace. Amen.